need supports to have to clear the room. Stand up and walk now. Hello and welcome to The Watch. My name is Chris Ryan. I am an editor at TheRinger.com and joining me on the other line, OC is lovely this time of year. It's Andy Greenwald! You know... It's a Thursday in America. I'm feeling pretty good, though. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like... I don't know. I just... I love seeing your face. Today on the show, we've got Jason Concepcion and Shea Serrano. They're going to come and do Gangs of London, which is a new show on AMC Plus with me and Andy. Andy and I are also going to talk a little Marvel stuff, a little Third Day, maybe a little Fargo. But before we do all that, let's take a quick break. This episode is brought to you by Mint Mobile. If you've had it with your overpriced wireless plan with its insanely high monthly bill and unexpected overages, then listen to this. For a limited time, wireless plans from Mint Mobile are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. That's unlimited talk, text, and data for $15 a month. Wow, right? To get this new customer offer, just go to mintmobile.com slash watch. That's mintmobile.com slash watch. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower, above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for more details. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on, I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, Tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. All right, we're back, Greenwald. Now tell me how you were feeling. Let it out. Oh, you know, I, I think letting it out would be bad. I think I think I think it's good to keep it in sometimes, don't you? I mean, nope, no, no that's not this true. This is the conversation. It's about it. We're okay. we're here to like kind of just work through all of it, and I want to work through how you're feeling about certain shows, certain pieces okay. of news. But it's a safe space. Our audience is ready for any of your takes. <laughs> um, I think what we've been working out over the last couple of weeks, as as things have just gotten more and more tense in the world. Yeah, I think is like, how do you interface with culture when everything is falling apart around you, when it feels like everything is falling apart around you? How do you find joy in the things that you typically go to for entertainment or intellectual stimulation or emotional rewards when you feel like shit? And mm-hmm. you know, I think it's it's totally fair to be like, these shows are not hitting the way that they may have been intended to. Yeah, and I think that there are times, um, and I, and for people listening, I don't think we're going to do this whole conversation again. As Chris said, we're going to talk about specific shows and things. But one thing that I have noticed in my media consumption over the last few days, both for this podcast and for personal reasons, I'm noticing the gears a little bit more, the machinery a little bit more. Which is to say that you know one of the things that we often do, and I think that I think it's a, a, a one of the good. Uh, it's part of our good work that we do here, we try to do, right, is mm-hmm. we want to be cheerleaders for the medium, and the medium is generally television, and I want television to take chances, and I want people to stretch their stretch their wings and, and fly. But 
what I am really craving, I think, partly, as you said, due to the what feels often like societal collapse happening, but but literally there's a societal collapse in that we can't really gather as a society at the moment, is I am looking for a kind of uh, acknowledged or shared humanity in the character work of the stuff that I'm watching, which, yes, everyone who listens knows that if you told, if, that if there was a two and a half hour French movie about liberal elites talking about e-publishing, like the movie Nonfiction I talked about a few weeks ago. Yeah, I'm, I'm the guy for that. But at the same time, they were just people in their lives and there was style and there was art to it, yeah. but there were people in their lives. And I enjoyed feeling that sense of, you know, being a part of actual life out there. And I say this all as preamble to why I have been, I think, specifically struggling with the slate of shows that are in front of us right now. And to yeah. name them, uh, Third Day, Utopia, the boys, even in this most recent episode, obviously we'll talk about the finale next week, and even Gangs of London. Not to step on the conversation we're going to have with with Shay and Jason. You were a good story like, about Gangs of London, though. It's oh, not it's, that's not your bag. No, but it's super fun to to hang out with those guys and to watch something completely different and to appreciate. I mean, I can appreciate beautiful direction and action. Like mm-hmm. I'm not I'm not made of stone here, but even a show, like a show like that, which is doing something very specific and it's doing it well, or Fargo, which is you know. Fargo, at its heart, has always been doing a bit, right? I think I want less bits. And to bring it all the way back to the third day, which is a show that I, I have no sense of how many of our, uh, what, what a percentage of our listeners are watching it. So we can, but I think to fold it into the larger conversation that everyone yeah. can be a part of. So everyone knows, uh, first three episodes, Dazzling, Jude Law is like, you know, like a like Midsummer or Wicker Man, two movies I've never seen. Though is, I would say, I those three, first three episodes started at, the first episode about as as excited as we have been about a show yes. in 2020 and then sort of slipped a little bit each successive episode. Yeah, and then but but as as made clear by the fact that this weekend there was a 12-hour live stream that included Jude Law digging a hole for an hour and then taking a nap for 10 minutes. This show is not trying to scratch your prestige TV itch. It mm-hmm. is blazing a pretty wild and innovative trail in the immersive theater community. That's what it's doing, and I respect the hell out of it. That said, part of its structure, which is, I can't tell if it's commenting on, playing into, trying to play against the sort of uh, cyclical nature of episodic television. First three episodes are the first three days with Jude Law's journey to the island, then there's this theatrical break. And then the fourth episode, uh, which aired this week, is a different season. It's winter now, mm-hmm. and presumably after the events of, of Jude Law's visit. And Naomi and Harris after the actor. events of the theatrical experience, yeah. which I, I I admittedly only watched like bits and pieces of. You didn't watch all twelve hours. Well, no, but I also was like I I think that once it was pretty clear that whatever happened in the twelve hour play, you weren't going to need that to enjoy the rest of the season. No, you could just enjoy it or experience it or, right. or what have you. Um, Naomi Harris, who an actress who I love, I have a lot of time for. People probably know her best from the James Bond movies. I think Black Mirror. Anyway, you know, yeah, she's in Black right. Mirror. Um, she is now driving not a Subaru this time, but a Volvo. Yeah, the difference that I noticed. Larger car than you usually see in England. Very, very. They're very partial to smaller vehicles there. With her two daughters, she decides to rent a rustic Airbnb over the causeway in OC. And I have to say, you know, I'm, I'm nothing. I'm honest with you guys, right? This is my safe space. I tapped out. I tapped out, and I'm not proud of that. And maybe I'll go back, but I watched the first 30 minutes of this hour-long episode, and it was essentially a replay of the first, 
arrival that Jude Law did, only this time with added racism and little children. Mm. And I didn't have it in me. You know, See, the, the, the number of times people do something they obviously shouldn't do in order to get to the story that they want to tell. It's like fool me once, shame on me, but fool me twice. So in did the you same read show. about, did you read like a recap for the rest of the episode? No, no. And maybe, you know, I, I, I just kind of wanted to bring you the uncut raw that I That's basically fine. couldn't do it. So there's two couple things going on here. For one, you know, people doing things. I, I, I watched this with my wife, Phoebe, and she was just like the entire time being like, get off the island, get off the island. Like, what are you doing? Yeah. So at the end of the episode, you find out that Naomi Harris has arrived on this island and that Jude Law is her husband and these are her their children. So obviously they are looking for uh, Jude Law's character who presumably, I don't know whether he has been pronounced dead or whatever in the intervening time between summer, autumn, and winter where we are. Right. But she is she has got some reason for being there. She is on a quest, not just on an absolutely doomed vacation. Okay, so she knows. Yeah, everything she went there on purpose. She went there on purpose. This is not like accidentally I got an Airbnb in the worst place in the world. Okay, can I just say? Yeah. Okay, I'll watch episode five. Okay, cool. That's all it takes. But I, it, it's in, you know, I, I wish that I think part of the the performance of being a TV critic and then a uh, professional podcast host would be to push down my reaction and get through the next 30 yeah, and get through it and learn before. But I I had, I had to bring you the truth, but that's interesting to me. But even the exercise of making us go through that. Right. Well, I want to say something about this. Yeah. It's very interesting. This show for as much, so for as avant-garde as it can be for as psychedelic as it can be for as much as it is about maybe as allegorical about um, environmentalism. I think you could, you see some shades of that and there's, a real like sort of a historical quality to the narrative. I, I think I mentioned last week that it felt like a lot of the stuff in the happened in episode three mirrored um, some Arthurian legend about the connection between mm-hmm. a leader and the health of a, of an ecosystem. It's, this is basically a horror movie. This, and, and the best part of horror movies mm-hmm. for me are the setup. And it was pretty refreshing once, uh, you know, and I want to address the, the sort of element about the kids it was pretty cool to get some different characters interacting like normal people uh, back true. in the show. So the reason why I thought the first episode or two of Third Day were so great was because you were taking these people and thrusting them together. And I felt like the Catherine Waterston character and the Jude Law character were these people who had kind of arrived at this island at different points in their life, weren't quite being completely honest about who they were. There was this facade that this was like a vacation paradise or that this was like a community that had sort of figured out how to run a society in this equitable way. Obviously, the place that Naomi Harris arrives is not that. It's basically a desiccated, you know, corpse of a, of a place and is, you know, tarps everywhere, pissing rain, looks cold. There's no reason why she should be there other than this quest. Yeah. The problem that they have created for themselves is that this show now has a baby Yoda problem. Because these kids are too fucking cute. I know. Like, these I, kids I, yes. are not, like... They should have cast, like, Damien from The Omen or something. Because then I would have been like, oh, it doesn't really matter. That, these these kids, kids are stunning. They're are amazing. on, like... They are 99.9 percentile the cutest kids I've ever seen in my life. And I don't have children. So, I am already, like... This will either be a lot of harrowing children in danger, but you know that they're not going to do anything to them. 
or something bad is going to happen to these kids and I'm just going to be like, why am I doing this to myself? So I do, I do see where you're coming from I, on that I, part. I, I appreciate everything you're saying because I definitely buried that lead. Um, just like Jude Law buried whatever pieces of crockery or <laughs> his past he, as he did during the 12 hour theater thing, which is that as the, uh, father and, and husband of a family that has a wife and two daughters driving into peril and then being like, these kids need to go to the bathroom and get some food in them. Like I, nope, nope. I mean, I've been on this Island now for three hours, yeah, three days. I, I, I it's, it's a, it's a tough one. It's a tough well, one, but the, I, to, just to bring it full circle, I think that often, whether due to uh, space we had in our personal lives or time that we just had or uh, artistic creativity or, or artistic curiosity that we've had, I th- think that we've had a pretty healthy appetite for shows that we just love, you know, whether they're high-minded fair or, you know, Parks and Recreation or something, or in your case, Ted Lasso, and shows that we admire. There's a big category of shows, you know, that, I mean, I think I, I, I truly love the young Pope, but at the same time, I mean, those episodes. That's a perfect were, example, though. That's those, a, those episodes that's a show were I, long AF, and, and a I show admire that them I as admire, much as I but I did did not. I don't think like. I, I I I do think that my appetite for just admiring something is at a is at a low at this moment. So since we're sharing, and I, I don't mean to uh, talk about something that you haven't gotten a chance to check out yet, but I just wanted to mention that. It does feel like the volume of shows that we're moving through right now is very high. Like you and I usually tend to settle on one or two things Mm -hmm. and then we talk about them for about six or seven weeks on and off. Right now, I think we're juggling like three or four or five different shows. I watched the third episode of Fargo, which definitely think that it corrected certain things. Like the first episode of Fargo definitely spends just way too much time setting up American history before it gets to just like even the first lines of dialogue uttered by a character of consequence. I, I think that... One of the things that jumped out at me about this third episode of Fargo, and I just want to toss this to you as like a general TV consumer mm-hmm. and maker, is there are several really cool, good, interesting shows inside of this season. There mm-hmm. is the Crime Family War. There is the Jason Schwartzman, Chris Rock sort of clash and the internecine fighting going on in, bet- in, those, in those families. And you could have the sun swapping there which I'm, I wouldn't be surprised if is based on some sort of historical research, but is, is the kind of thing that's like a little too cute by half for something like this. Then there is this Ethel Rita funeral parlor family in Kansas in 1950, mm-hmm. interracial family in Kansas in 1950, and uh, the fugitives living with them, the, the mother's mm-hmm. sister. That's pretty interesting. Then there is like, another show that Jesse Buckley is in. And I don't know. I I know that Noah is good enough to bring all this stuff together, but I kind of just wish sometimes that shows weren't so special and weren't so weighted down with the necessity of, boy, if we're going to do this, we got to do all of it because there it's just dragging too much narrative weight behind it. And every time I feel like Fargo takes off for five or six minutes and it feels like, ooh, Glenn Thurman is just fucking cooking right now. And then it's like, no, but we got to go do these six other plot lines. And it's like the Ben Wishaw show is amazing. The Glenn Thurman, Chris Rock show is cool. Like there are a bunch of shows in this show that I'm really interested in, but bringing them all together as this ensemble, I don't know, man. It's like, 
it's not Altman, I, dude, I, you know? I, 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 I love the point you're making because I think it's crucial to our understanding of the, the second decade of the great century of American television that we're in. Yeah. Because for, you know, not to make this another backward looking thing where we talk about the glories of David Chase and Matt, and Matt Weiner, but I think it's important to talk about them because they are lauded for many things. Obviously, we're talking about the creators, the Sopranos and, and Mad Men who work together on the Sopranos. Um, you know, they, they kicked this off. Those are masterpiece shows. And I don't think people are trying, I don't think people are coming for their belts. I don't think people are trying to compete with those shows necessarily anymore. But sometimes I do wonder if the wrong lessons were learned from them. Because one of the things that Chase and Weiner were expert at, and they learned this the hard way by working on Kolchak the Night Stalker in I'll Fly Away, which was a good show, and Becker, as Matt Weiner did, which is the correct ratios Mm -hmm. for hour-long entertainment. And one of the things that I admire the hell out of in Mad Men more than anything else when I look back on it now and Mad Men isn't Fargo. It's, you know, it's apples to poisoned apple pie if you're comparing them. It's not the same thing at all. But when I look back at Mad Men, it's an almost, it appears to be effortless juggling of characters and plot lines that feel sublime. At the end of a Mad Men episode, you didn't feel short shrifted in any way from what, what the episode set out to accomplish. Mm-hmm. And I think that part of, you know, successive generations of anything, there's a little bit of Oedipal, like, let's kill let's kill dad, let's kill the darlings, let's kill the way we thought things were supposed to be. And to Noah's credit, and in this case, a little bit to his, you know, we're we're criticizing it. From the beginning, Noah was like, I refuse and I reject the rules of television as it's been understood. The reason that he told me that he hired me five years ago was I didn't have the same brain as people who have been working in writer's rooms. Right. That's a very high-minded and kind way of saying, I didn't know how to structure stuff. You know, that's not what he was looking for, and he figured he could work around it. And he obviously, but you, he was looking for somebody who might say, "What if we did it a different way?" Or what if we just did all of it? Mm-hmm. Because why not? Because we can now. We are empowered. This isn't David Chase like still feeling sorry on some level for making television when all he wanted to make was cinema, right? And so, the flip side of that, the downside of that, uh, that um, at the time kind of radical autourism is then you have shows that just do everything. Yeah. And if you do everything, you kind of do nothing. And I, I, I just, just to end the monologue by saying, you know, when I was making Briar Patch, there was a storyline that was passion that I was passionate about, not from the book, that brought in a border patrol character and a, uh, a sort of a feint towards an illegal immigration storyline. And I got really excited about that chance to tell a story in this, this field did research, brought in a brilliant um, consultant named Francisco Cantu, who wrote a great book, highly recommend it, called The, the, Line, Becomes the uh, Line Becomes the River, about the border. And I think that in a great actor named uh, David Zaldivar, who played the part of Lalo, and I think we did our best. And I think the storyline worked within the episodes we made. But one of the lessons I learned was, you, if you want to build a successful boat, you can't put everything on it. Yeah. There's just not room for everything. And so ultimately, did I think, do I think that storyline worked on my show? I think maybe, but I also think we gave it short shrift. And something that important, I wish we had, I wish we had given it full shrift, you know? Yeah. So I, I just, I bring that up, not to do mea culpas, but to say like, I completely get the desire to be like, if you can do it, do it. We're not mm-hmm. promised anything in this world and they're giving me a budget and I can make a show. But the downside is, as you pointed out, like which... There's, you're watching a show that has 10 shows and you're only invested in six or seven. And I will say in the in shows, it, it, most seasons of Fargo, um, I think Alice, the Alison Tolman season is season two, correct? 
that's season one. Season one. I mean, I I would say the first two seasons of Fargo, which I adored, were slow starters for me. So that's why I'm sticking with this season yeah, of Fargo because I want to see it. The difference here, and it goes back to your Mad Men point. I remember when Mad Men came out, I didn't know who any of those people were. Mm-hmm. You know, well, I think I'd seen Slattery around and I'd seen some of those those actors as as character actors in other shows, maybe. But I didn't know who Ham was, and I didn't know who Elizabeth Moss was, and I didn't know who January Jones was. When you're watching um, Fargo this season, and there's a scene in the third episode where Timothy Oliphant, who's playing a, it's one of my favorite actors, who's playing a U.S. Marshal, which is like, sure, just keep doing it. You're really good at it. He plays a, a Mormon uh, preacher who is also a U.S. Marshal, who's very against blasphemy, and is constantly is talking a lot about you know the, the Mormon faith, and he has come to town to look for the the sister of of Ethel Rita's mother, and the, the, as a fugitive, he's paired up with the Jack Houston character. The Jack Houston character is in the pocket of the Italian mob and has extreme OCD. So there is a scene where the two of them are in this car together, waiting outside of the funeral home, and two really good actors. And I can't believe the car didn't go through the pavement with the amount of bits that were going on. Like, Oliphant's eating carrots. Houston's blinking a hundred times a second. You know, everybody is just doing the most that they can with this scene that is literally just two guys sitting in a car talking outside of a, a funeral home. And it's that cramming in, and I, I, I can't help but wonder if it's satisfying these, like, very big names doing very small parts, probably. And you're getting in essentially like movie stars or television stars, huge actors to play these roles. And I'm like, are you writing to the size of the role? Because there's no, there's no quiet, loud, quiet in this show. Everybody is doing a thing. And we've talked about that. I am going to stick with it because I just, I, I Fargo has paid off in the, in the past. So I want to see it, but I just thought I would mention it. I hope we don't sound too negative. No, I think it's interesting. And it's something that I, I think about a lot separate and apart from this show, because um, the best advice that I got on a on the creative level from two very different showrunners, from Noah and from Sam Esmail, was basically go for it, mm-hmm. go go big, take the chance because you know you you have the opportunity to make something, and so you shouldn't waste any plays basically. And you know I think they they're they're Noah has become one, and Sam has always been a director, so I think they also are thinking visually. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also think it's just good advice when you're writing a script and you're like, well, what, there are only so many scripts in an hour. I mean, only so many scenes in a script. And so why should this just be people talking just to move from A to B to C? You know, you want to take advantage of every, every, every rep. Um, I think the danger of that, particularly as shows become more concentrated, more condensed, more limited is the ratio. Yeah. Because doing big, broad character work and making every scene snap, crackle, and pop in a two-hour movie, sure. In a 10-hour, what is essentially, you know, high-minded auteurs would call it a 10-hour movie, that's a lot. Yeah, yeah. It, it, to be fair, it's not Grey's Anatomy where you don't have 16 seasons to kind of, you could mail in a couple plays, you know what right. I mean? And just, 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 but sometimes TV just needs to be the connective tissue and and figuring out when you're, when you're just, sinew and when you're actually boned to try to come up with a weird anatomical metaphor on the fly, I think that can be tricky. And I think even the greats get tripped up. I want to get to our conversation with Jason and Shay uh, about I, I Gangs have, of London. But I have one thing. We, to, I, I have one thing I want to talk about too. 
Is it Wait. the same thing? I want to talk about this. Let's, fucking let's multiverse. say it at the same time. One, two, three. Multiverse. multiverse. Yes! It is the same thing. <laughs> what the fuck is the multiverse? And will you tell me okay. why I'm saying that? If you guys are still listening, we're going to talk about the multiverse in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but then I'm going to drop however many minutes into this podcast, the hottest Spider-Man take you are going to hear this year, okay? I'm just letting you know. So don't fast forward to Shane Jason yet because even though they're probably the best things about this whole podcast. The multiverse is a concept that we've seen in other science fiction stories and other comic book stories, but is essential to uh, the Marvel Universe in print where there are, it's just the simple it's just the simple idea that we are not in a universe we're in a multiverse and there are many many different dimension dimensions where there are different versions of earth different versions of spider-man different versions of all our heroes etc cetera, etc cetera. and certain characters Kai some of their like, best work if only that were true comes out I know, where she's <laughs> where she's working on uh, the Bakari Seller show instead of this one but here we are the ant-man stuff I think started to get, they got into the quantum realm. So it was yeah. getting pretty comic booky. Get, get but small. Then, yeah. But then super, super geeks got really excited when the Doctor Strange sequel title was announced, which is like Doctor Strange in the multiverse of Madness. horrors or mystery Madness. or something. Yeah. Which is extremely like deep cut 60s, 70s LSD Marvel, like from Jack Kirby's illustrations to Jim Starlin's writing. And could be cool for a Doctor Strange character. That That seems cool. I'm into it. What's, what people are getting a little, in my mind, a little overly hyped about is how this multiverse idea, which, ha- again, hasn't appeared on the cinema yet, but appears to be creeping into this next generation iteration of Marvel movies. And the big news was that with Spider-Man, the third Sony Marvel Spider-Man movie set to come out next year, although I don't think they filmed it yet, um, this is the Tom Holland series. First, uh, that Jamie Foxx, who played Electro in the second, I can't, I mean, this is so dumb, in the second Andrew Garfield Spider-Man movie would be reprising his role as Electro in this mm-hmm. movie, suggesting, oh, so does the Andrew Garfield Spider-Man exist in the multiverse of Marvel movies? Are they going to suggest that they are all happening at different times and link them in some way? And then it was announced that Benedict Cumberbatch will be playing Doctor Strange in this movie. Um making people get even more excited about that. And so the, the I guess the opportunity here is not only that Tobey Maguire could dance again in the Marvel Cinematic Universe wearing a black turtleneck, but also that characters who had died, like maybe Tony Stark, could come back at some point because they lived to a ripe old age having defeated Thanos without personal harm in a different sure. world, right? I right. definitely hope if, if they're going to do that, it's the former. Like, I, I mean... Toby McGuire, if you want to go find him in whatever West Hollywood underground <laughs> hold'em game he's been in for the last five years, like go do you think for he it. knows there's a pandemic? Do you think do he knows? <laughs> do you think he knows that like podcasts exist? <laughs> <laughs> he's just been grinding out hands like Teddy Kaddish for like. <laughs> can, he, can you picture he finally gets an alert on his iPhone five? Yeah, and it's <laughs> like he's just like what the check out cereal. <laughs> um, I hope it's the former where they bring back some some Spider-Man stuff. If it would be you disappointing, don't, you don't want that. It would be disappointing for me if they brought back Downey. And I don't I don't necessarily think unless the Sherlock Holmes expanded universe goes Jesus incredibly Christ. poorly for him and and his, his wife who's producing. I I just hope that they actually end on the note of Endgame and take the yeah. W. 
I, I don't think it's going there. Although to, uh, Downey will play Tony Stark again. That's going to happen at some point in the next decade or two. But this is not where these movies are necessarily going. They're just that they, they this seems to be an exciting idea for them story wise or whatever. Great, fine. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also something that was made extremely popular and played super well with the Into the Spider Verse movie, which. Sony didn't, I think, know what it had on its hands. It felt like it was a straight-to-video kind of thing until suddenly they put it in theaters and it became not only a massive moneymaker and smash hit, but it was many people's favorite comic book movie of the last few years. And also because it was animated, a whole generation of kids have watched multiple times on Netflix. And so this idea of multiverse, that there are many Spider-Men, not a not a problem. Yeah. Not an obstacle. No, the, for the only next dorks like you fans. and me are like everything that you you should stay dead, right. Tony Stark. But but Here's the thing that I want to say. There's a creeping feeling that I got from these recent Sony Marvel Spider-Man movies, the Tom Holland movies. Now, we enjoyed them quite a bit, particularly the first one, mainly because they seem to understand that the eternal appeal of Spider-Man is it's a high school thing. So Tom Holland and Zendaya were just great and charming and it was fun and the other kids in the class were well cast. But there was also this second current going through these movies, which I chafed against, which is that Spider-Man is the heir to Iron Man's legacy and that Spider-Man is best when he has a high-tech Stark armor suit and is fighting supervillains in Europe or whatever, which seemed to be completely antithetical to what I just said was the most appealing part about Spider-Man. So they were trying to straddle that line. The fact that in the third outing of this character, they are going to potentially introduce the idea of a multiverse tells me one thing and one thing only, that they really don't know still six movies in, eight movies in, how to tell a Spider-Man story in a movie. Mm. Which is what leads me to my next comment. The way movies are going and the way TV is going, Chris, Spider-Man is a TV show. It's not a movie. That's my galaxy brain take. I agree Because the thing that is essential about Spider-Man is... Peter Parker's life is stressful, whether he is in high school or he's graduated high school and he's hustling as a photographer for the Daily Bugle. It is low-level uh, low level world building with high stakes on the personal side as much as it is on the I have to defeat Rhino and the Sandman side. Sure. The way movies are going, the expectations for the Marvel Universe is that every time we get the gang back together for one of these $200 million blockbusters, an entire city, if not the entire galaxy, must be in peril. And Spider-Man mm-hmm. doesn't work in those stories unless you use him like the Russo brothers, which is in Endgame and in Infinity War, which is to be like, I'm a high school kid. Why am I in a space station? Sure. We need that guy. But he's not defeating those things on his level. So you want him keep... to have week to week adventures. Yeah, yeah. Because his life is actually interesting as opposed to does anybody care about Captain America's home life? Like there was a whole plot line in the 80s in the comic books where Captain America gets burned out and disillusioned with the country. So he grabs a motorcycle and just rides around the country on a motorcycle painting watercolors of what he sees. I mean, I liked it at the time, but that's not a movie. You know what I mean? And it's probably not a good TV show either, unless it's sort of a Bob Ross, like DIY kind of thing. So the the reason why we're kind of, what we're basing this all off of is, frankly, a tweet from an account called... (laughs) Either doctor movie news or DR movie news. I'm assuming it's doctor. It's either he's a medical doctor or he's based in the Dominican Republic. Either way, respect. 
and I, I gotta be honest. I mean, like, all, all due respect to the doctor. Like, I don't, I don't know where he's sourced, but he's saying, guys, it's given. The multiverse is happening, and quotes, they will all be back calling it now. And then there's a sort of uh, panel of all three Spider-Men. It's obvious that the planned storyline will begin with WandaVision, carry into Spider-Man 3, and conclude with Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. This is the way. So yeah, I guess that's 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 in play. I personally think that whatever happens now, and like and you know, they've they've we've obviously gone over a bunch of casting announcements and a bunch of, of the date moves. I just think that like the next step for this whole thing is Fantastic Four and X-Men. And and while I'm yeah. interested in Ant-Man 3 and all this stuff, like I just thought it was like kind of like I, I don't know that that the world is ready to kind of to juggle all of this. And, and and I don't presume to know Kevin Feige's business, but I considering how canny he's been about this and how ahead of the game he's been about this, I don't think that his next move is going to be to make it required viewing to watch a Disney Plus series, the third movie in one series and the second movie in another series just to follow a plot that's main goal is to bring back Andrew Garfield. That That is fanboy service. That's not what's gotten him to where he's been. I think the decentralized nature of what he's doing is a very, very smart response to just how big everything got. Yeah. And I think it looks even smarter now we're entering into, you know, deep global uncertainty, but particularly financial uncertainty and uncertainty with movie theaters. It looks like a very wise and prescient retreat from you must line up and watch each one of these two yeah, to $300 million dollars. it's maximum movies. flexibility. And it's maximum flexibility because it's like, maybe if something really takes off, we don't we don't uh, restrict ourselves narratively by the idea that this person could still live in another world, in another reality. And, and though, because of the multiverse, what we could then do, which is what I think they've secretly wanted to do for a while, is we can keep Tom Holland as this top level, as long as they can afford him and they can make the deals work, as this top level web slinger in whatever iteration the Avengers movies take going forward. But there are other Spider-Man. And, and then we can introduce Miles Morales into Disney Plus on a TV show. Damn, you're smart. And get where we want, where they kind of want to be anyway. Uh, that's, that's wrapped up in a little bow for you. And you thought I was coming into this podcast unprepared. No, I knew you were prepared. I knew you were prepared. And you're prepared to talk about Gangs of London with me and Shay Serrano and Jason Concepcion. So just quickly... For people who don't know, and I'll explain this in a second, but this is a new show. It's it's not a new show globally. It came out in England a little while ago, and now it's over here on our shores. It's through AMC+. It's directed by Gareth Evans, who directed the two Raid films and Apostle, and he came on The Watch, actually, to talk to me about Apostle. And it is basically unlike any action television I've ever seen. If you've seen the Raid films, you, you'll, you'll get a crash course in cutting-edge stunt work and sort of action set pieces. But... This is essentially like a very straightforward crime drama with this kind of kinetic action on top. So Andy and I talked to Jason and Shay about that. A little bit of admin. Next Monday, we're going to be talking uh, about the boys finale. So that's coming out tonight on Amazon. We'll talk about that on Monday and uh, hopefully have a special guest for that one. So Greenwald, until then, man. And I just also want to say, though I went into this conversation with our own version of the boys, Shay and Jason, maybe not as rabid about the show as the rest of you. I loved being a part of the conversation and my absence from the back half of it had nothing to do Just with my distaste for neck snapping or or anything. I had technical difficulties and came back big at the end. So right. thanks to those guys. Let's get into our conversation with them. Before we get to our interview with Jason and Shay, Andy, I just want to say, you know, with election day on its way, 
I wanted to make sure everybody has figured out where they're going to go vote. You can do that by hitting up ballotready.org to find your polling place. And you can vote in many places, in many states, before November 3rd. So this is probably the most consequential election we'll face in our lifetimes. Think about it. Make sure you're registered. Make sure you know where your polling place is. You can go and find out if you can vote early. Check if you can mail in your ballot or vote early in person at ballotready.org. Let's get into our conversation with Jason and Shay. This episode is brought to you by Mint Mobile. If you've had it with your overpriced wireless plan with its insanely high monthly bill and unexpected overages, then listen to this. For a limited time, wireless plans from Mint Mobile are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. That's unlimited talk, text, and data for $15 a month. Wow, right? To get this new customer offer, just go to mintmobile.com slash watch. That's mintmobile.com slash watch. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower, above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for more details. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. (sighs) Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Free samples, free shipping, and our 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step and into your home too. Shop Blinds.com now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off at Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Andy and I are now joined by Shea Serrano and Jason Concepcion. Yes. You know them from the Connect podcast. Yes. yes. You know them from NBA Desktop, uh, Emmy Award-winning NBA Desktop. You know them from Thank the you. New York Times bestseller list. They're also our friends. And that's what's important because friends get to talk about bar fights with friends. <laughs> also, I, I, I always say this about them. They're the only two good people on Twitter. And I, <laughs> I'm true. always grateful for that. That's Thank true. Thank you. We're here to talk about a show that I think is going to be a challenge. It's a challenge for people because it's very violent. It's called Gangs of London. It is on AMC+. Plus. That's the other challenge. I think people might have a little bit of a difficulty finding it. Just do this. If you are interested in this conversation, if you haven't already seen Gangs of London, just Google it. You can find AMC Plus's site. It's available on certain cable providers on demand. You can also sign up for it via Apple TV and Amazon. You can watch Mm -hmm. it that way. This is Can I also important. say, if you are not interested in this show at all, but you're interested in the conversation with these three handsome men surrounding me on the Zoom screen, I got you. I appreciate I am your Sherpa <laughs> up this mountain. I appreciate Andy's. Andy, never let it be said that you don't give 100% every pot. 
<laughs> because this guy watched Gangs of London. Now, for yeah, me, oh I'm going to speak for Jason and Shay. Mm-hmm. This show is our Emily in Paris. Fuck if you tell me awesome. that there are warring crime families in London yes. exacting extreme amounts of vengeance and violence on one another, extreme vengeance. and then you add in an undercover cop who's in too deep, is, are you, he's, are he's you, in so deep. It's a lot of boxes. It's a lot of our boxes me? that are getting checked off. I, 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 like, I don't want to. I don't want to derail things, but I do want to go around the horn here. Is there a city in which all those things could be happening? Let's these things could be pick, happening that you wouldn't let's like. Let's pick one of the grand capitals of Europe. How about that? Ex sure. capitals of Europe. Now, currently, its own thing. Thanks to Brexit. <laughs> right. But let's just yeah. put it in London. How about that? Would that be something you are interested in, Jason Conception? <laughs> okay, wait. Any, Gangs any, of London. Any city. Yes. Gangs of Albuquerque. I'm fucking <laughs> ass. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I barely survived it. Pick a city and I'm fine. I'm good. I'm ready to okay. go. All right. So uh, it's really the first part. It's the gangs right. part. So yeah. just a little bit more setup. Three episodes of this show have been released so far. They're on AMC+. Plus. It comes from the mind of someone very important to me, Jason and Shay, a guy named Gareth Evans. Because <laughs> you, you're here to keep us in check. Because you're, keep going. Keep going. You're, you're Sandra Bullock. You're here to keep us tethered to, to the spaceship in some way. Or That's she right. floated away, right? She... I, yeah, I, I thought you were talking that she was driving the bus. Like, it, which you Sandra could drive, You could drive the bus too. Do <laughs> you, it all. You, you guys are the all, bus. No, you guys are all Big Mike, and I'm your adopted mom. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> and I'll tell you what's what. With sass. Okay, go on. Gareth Evans is the director of the two yes. Raid films, which are two of me and Shay and Jason's favorite movies. <laughs> Absolutely. They changed action filmmaking completely. In some ways, yes. And I would argue that Gangs of London is is, is proof of this. My guy broke action movies. He, yeah. he is the lineup of death of death. Yeah. I would agree with that. There's a, there's a level of, of pace that comes with a Gareth Evans film that is just, and chaos that is just extremely hard to replicate. And I think the first episode of Gangs uh, comes close to it in the, in the uh, episode culminating bar fight. Mm, mm. Um, but even mm. then, it, you you really realize how, man, that that kind of chaotic, everybody fighting in the background, people falling into things, getting their legs broken off the corner of a, of a of an object, that kind of constant frenetic action is. I don't even know how you uh, how you diagram that up. How do you put that on screen? And and gangs gets about ninety seven percent there. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I do really wonder whether or not there were any legal parameters around the filming of the show <laughs> that maybe yeah. were were not in place in the raid, and that's where the three percent comes in. Yes, but Shay, it's basically if people want to know what this is like, it's like it's basically like fifty-two minutes of drama of just like right. you know guys yeah. talking and people uh-huh. trying yeah. to figure out what's going to happen. Who killed the, my dad in and the wake blah, blah, of yeah. this crime lord's death? And then, at least in the first two episodes that I've watched, it culminates at the end with a fight scene unlike anything you will ever see. A bar fight yeah. scene unlike anything you will ever see. What are your thoughts on the first two episodes, Shay? Oh, I'm right there. I'm right there with you. I didn't even know that it was Gareth Evans until a little earlier today. And I was just, I just so happened to be talking to Sean Finnessy about it. And he mentioned, oh, that's the raid guy, right? And I said, no, Eco. I thought you were talking about Eco. I said, Eco's not in this show <laughs> unless I've watched the wrong one. Oh, none of the director. I went and looked. I'm like, oh, that makes fucking 
so much sense to the point that that Jason was making. The only difference between the fight scene here and the fight scene in the raid is that in the raid you have Eco, who is the greatest movie fighter that has ever lived. You could just turn the camera on him and he could do stuff that nobody else right. can do. But yeah. just the but just the chaos that that they're able yeah. to summon out of nowhere because you don't see it coming at all. Like I didn't know anything about the show until Chris texted me about, hey, watch this show. This is a cool show. All right, cool. Chris so far has told me in my life, hey, watch The Equalizer, check. Hey, watch John Wick, check. Hey, did you watch The Raid and The Raid 2? And Chris is, in my in my mind, the best recommender of anything. So he said, watch the show. I was like, cool, I watch it. I start watching it. I'm like, oh, I get it. This is like how Chris likes Mad Men. This is like gangster Mad Men. I'm like, this is, I'm this like wild wire cutter for dudes getting their asses kicked. <laughs> yeah, I had, I had no idea what was going to happen. And then they all walk into the bar and, and uh, what's his name? Elliot is the last guy to go in. He's just sort of gathering himself at the end and you see him take that big breath. And then that's the only hint that he's like about to start doing shit. Yeah. Crazy. And then he walks in and it's just fucking madness for the next eight minutes. It is just pandemonium. hardcore. You're like, where did this come from? What is going on? You watch the second episode. They do the same thing. They get up into the one big fight and then just turn the volume up again. And you're like, this is fucking awesome. So awesome. I got two thoughts here. One is this is a beautiful, beautiful uh, story of friendship and community. <laughs> Not the show, this this podcast. Oh. <laughs> because what I'm, what, because what I'm re- realizing is that when Chris opens up his cell phone, okay, it's basically like he's sorting the laundry. You've got right. you've got you've got the socks, you got the shirts, maybe you've got some. Basically, the things that go into my window are like. Here's a twee pop band from Philadelphia you may have missed. <laughs> also, here's some trenchant analysis about the political situation. And then he's like, now where can I put this hyper-violent nugget right. of London grime? Oh, I got some guys for that. And he just sorts it. So it's kind of beautiful. He right. keeps it moving. Yeah. The second thing I want to say is maybe you can help me. And by me, I hope I'm speaking for the 1% of listeners who is pretty, pretty confused by a lot of this. Is this just like how you mentioned Gangs of Albuquerque, Shay? The thing that I realized when I was in Albuquerque was that the, the magic of New Mexican cuisine is that every single thing on the plate is bland except one thing. And mm-hmm. if you eat it bit by bit, it's no good. But if you eat it all together, it works. Mm-hmm. Because you guys mentioned the 52 minutes of dudes walking <laughs> into other dudes and saying things like, I would have thought this was a meeting I would have been invited to. Clearly, you're here <laughs> now. Thank you. I mean... I thought for a while that this show was dubbed because it had been in another language. That was the level of dialogue we're working <laughs> on. And, and the thing is, is that Andy, I, so I mildly disagree with you, but I take your point. It's not like they they saved money on the actors. Papa no, Esiedu yeah, yeah. from I May yeah. Destroy You is in this. Yeah. Michelle Fairley from Game of Thrones is in this. Yep. Cole Meany is in this for a cup of coffee. What Joe a flex Cole by Cole Meany. from Peaky Blinders is the star of the show. Mark Lewis Jones calling down the thunder again into his voice, screaming yeah. an inch from people's faces. <laughs> Salador yeah. San from Game of Thrones finally yeah. getting some burn that he was denied uh, in Westeros. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I, and I also want to say, so that I'm just not the negative Nancy of this podcast, once my dude Elliot, by the way, who's Elliot? Maybe you guys can help me out with that one. When he walks into the bar, I was like, oh, okay, great. Great. It's the part in Pleasantville when they're back in color. And like that, I I, I am a human. I respond to this. This was now, great. And did that wild. last as long yeah. as the time between Elliot walking into the bar and him glassing a guy? Or did, was, that, was yeah. there more? 
Well, here's the thing. You know me. You glass one guy, you've glassed them all. Sure. But when you specifically <laughs> specifically double glass them, or you glass them once and then curb them, <laughs> right? That is, you know, that's bringing something new to the table or yes. to the, the, the top of the bar. And so I appreciate that. See, that's how that's how I felt when the show started because it starts with the one guy. They shoot it from his point of view, and he's dangling upside down. And mm-hmm. you already know this is like a gangster show. And okay, cool. I've seen, like, you know immediately, oh, they're hanging a guy off the side of a building right now. That's what's happening. And then, so that's going on. And I was like, I was like, all right, cool. I like, I, I know what the temperature of this show is. It's hot. And, th- and then, and then Sean Wallace, the Sean Wallace actor, I believe who it is. Yeah. Yes. Pours gasoline on him and then yeah. sets him on fire as he's dangling carried, upside down. Carried the gasoline to the top of the building. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, like a, like a five gallon yeah. container. Right, he was committed to this to this bit. But again, I had not seen that before in a movie because now you're realizing, oh, they're going to set him on fire. We're going to watch the rope eventually snap. He's going to fall to his death, but it's going to hurt for every single possible second. Sure, it was just like, oh, this is this is cool. It wasn't the rest of the show wasn't boring to me. It was like fun to watch, like I, in a very snatched Chris, sort of way. You, you've been to London more recently, I believe, than the rest of us. Is the 11 p.m. hour burning of the snitch? Still in practice? Is that something that can you no, see yeah. from all the parts of Piccadilly? Uh, They're closing let, pubs at 10 now. So let me just say, have it earlier before it gets dark. Let me just say, by, by the time you get to the fourth episode, um, you're changed. But the, the burning, the burning of the snitch has then evolved into a, a more of a, a grilling, a roasting of a snitch. Huh. And that. <laughs> Brings me to a point that I'd like to raise, which is that, man, Gareth Evans, one, knows how to absolutely slap you in the face with an action scene. And then he knows how to come back with the next scenes and be like, and here's how we elevate that from the previous uh, iteration, which was already on 11. I mean- it it just the the levels that this goes to in terms of violence as you go into it are I've seen a lot of action movies and I love them. Yeah. Shocking. Yeah. Yeah. Shock. Freaking shocking. It's, Jason, it, right now, for people because we're 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 seeing this on Zoom, but Jason looks like a guy who went to a lot of dead shows, but then he went to Altamont. And he's like, <laughs> That's right. <"Whew." laughs> Man, that was that was tough. <laughs> I've seen the way that I've seen the demon that oh, that oh, lurks in us all. I'll also say that like the first episode, frankly, for me was like a mess. I, in terms of the story, I was just like, where are we? Who are these yeah, guys? Burned? I have no idea what's why, going on in the show. That's why, my guy. Why is Elliot? Why is Elliot doing the things he's doing and for who? And then why is Sean mad at Elliot for helping him? Uh, that gets resolved by midway through the second episode. Mm-hmm. But the first episode is basically a long run up yeah. to what is essentially an unbelievable five to six minute action sequence. And it's worth mentioning that the first two episodes are considered the two parts of the first episode. So Mm. they they split them up, but you would say that this is considered the first two parts of the the first episode. I should also say that while people are probably like, I cannot believe this collection of minds are spending this amount of time (laughs) talking about dudes getting annihilated in pub fights. This is a hugely popular show in England. This was actually like a huge hit. So I'm very curious to see whether it translates over here. To your point, Andy, about the non-action scenes and, mm-hmm. and whether or not uh, I found it 
you know, whether or not it, it sang for me. Jason's right. It's, it's very confusing in the beginning, and it, it, it takes a while to kind of figure out, was this guy adopted? Did, right. did he? What, what's the deal with the family here? But I will say, for me, and I think I, I bet these other guys agree, in the same way that my mom will just watch... <laughs> 43 episodes of SVU in a row. Or the same way, I've, I know people who are just like, I will watch any episode of House or any episode of Grey's right. or any episode of ER, no matter how many times I've seen it because I like medical procedurals. I will just watch warring factions of gangster families mildly kind of negotiate until they beat the shit out of each other in almost any context and at and, and almost any level of writing. Like, I will watch Den of Thieves or I will watch Heat. And while I recognize yes. that Heat is way better than Dead of Thieves, I don't really make that big distinction because I'm like, okay. this is just pleasant to me. It's just, yeah. it's just like, I really, really enjoy the Mayu. So can I take your, you guys' temperature on a couple things? Because you, sure. you speak this language. You're familiar with this. You, you feel comfortable in this world. You may or may not have glassed some people in your time. I don't know. And I don't judge. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I judge a little. Um, if you, some hypotheticals I want to throw at you guys. You just tell me if this is good or bad. Hypothetical number one, you are a low-level, you're a low-level something in a criminal organization, and you would like to get your foot in the door a little bit more. Do you work your way up slow and steady, you drive for somebody for a while, and maybe you run a corner or whatever? Or do you see when all the top minds are gathered pouring over cell phone footage and just be like, oi, I know that guy. Like, oi, <laughs> that's really putting yourself on the line. You know what I mean? Like, Elliot's really, he's really looking for a come up. Like, is it's that, that kind is that of go getter right attitude that really gets rewarded, though? He's already been undercover for two years in this yeah, role. Right. So, if, if, that's like the he, thing. And now he's on the doorstep. As what? He's on the cusp. He's been working he, for that guy in the bar. The oh, guy yeah. who, yeah, yeah, who won. And now the, all of a sudden, thing. he's knocking on the door. Oh, yeah. With this a chance, chance to get next to okay. the next guy who's coming up okay. into the organization. Well, his his introduction into the show or his like taking over the storyline is when the show becomes good or interesting because that's when you figure out, oh, okay, this is like, he's our point into this. He's going to walk us through all this. We're going to rise up with him. And then we get to see him do all of this, all of this cool and, shit. And so Paige Riso is the actor. And one of the yeah. great things about being an English actor is you can work your whole life to get into the Royal Shakespeare company. And then you get right. a call from <laughs> Gareth Evans. And it's like, can you also stab someone in the throat? And he's Papa like, yes, Adu, yes, I can. Who is amazing. And he's incredible. And I yeah, he's good too. Yeah. Love that. He actor. just played, like he played Hamlet recently for the RSC. It's unbelievable. And I just Such watched like this place. video where he's like, oh yes, you know, Hamlet was a wonderful thing to do. And, and then he is like, <laughs> Alex in Gangs of London, who's just like, I'm strapping up because you never know. The best part about this show to me is what an indictment it is on London policing because, oh my God, <laughs> these guys are not obscuring what they are doing at They're all. They're doing it out at, in not, the street. Not at all. They're doing it in the not street. Not 1%. I, I, are, I have to, I have they, to say that the reason why I would recommend this show without reservation to anyone living in America in 2020 is it will cure you of your desire to travel. Like we're all stuck in our homes and we're sitting here dreaming of international travel. You know, playgrounds are still closed here. And yet, if you go to London, a city that I thought of as a pretty happening place, and you take your children to a playground, they may see someone's ankle get snapped. That's just, and not from falling off a hobby horse. I'm not sure, like, what the rules are for, uh, you know, undercover work in Metro London, in the UK in general. Yeah. Um, but it's great that 
Elliot gets to maim, probably kill, or at least paralyze like seven dudes in the yeah. first episode. And it's eight, it's eight dudes. Not, it doesn't even get a, you got to fill out some paperwork from his handler. Like that's just in yeah, the course no. of events. It, that's clean just your head, Clean the blood off of your hands and keep <laughs> it moving. That's he all you got to do. He is, he is a violent <laughs> super spreader. He kills all eight people who know each other. Greenwald like, has even seen the second episode where dude, Elliot fights you, you a you dude in his tidy whiteies with a yeah. butcher oh, knife. You didn't you see the second knife. one? Oh, man. And this Elliot a, just has a mattress. And that's the only thing that Elliot mattress. can fight. Is, he, is that guy's Albanian? It's a, a, butcher, a butcher's blade versus a mattress. There's like a whole other thing with Elliot where he just, and then he meets his boss and his boss is like, you're in too deep. No, that's when you're teasing too deep. That that was my favorite. My favorite line in the uh, the episodes that we've seen so far is when the boss's kid is like asking him, "Oh, how did how did you do this? You did all of this? How many guys was like six guys?" And he corrects him. And he says, "That was eight, but I had a dart." So <laughs> <and> like, <laughs> I'm like, this, I fucking love Elliot already. So already, the, the the butcher knife scene is very interesting. Man, Gareth Edwards has like an almost anatomical eye for. These fight scenes. It reminds yeah. me of it reminds me of uh, gangs in New York. Remember when uh, when Bill is like, "Here, it's a kill. Here, it's a kill. Here, you bleed out." It's that the fight scene with the butcher knife. You get a front row seat at various arteries and tendons mm. getting oh, severed, oof, oof. and then the fight goes on for another three it minutes. Just keeps happening. Yeah. yeah. Is this? I sold it to you, Andy. <laughs> I, I am interested in butchery. You know, I feel like it's important to be able to prepare food for my family. So animals are animals. I I'm really, just trying to find a... I greatly enjoy when a di- director does a trick. Gareth Evans does this really well, but the Russo brothers also do it. They did it in extra- extraction. Anyway, where they will use a part of the room as like a weapon, like the mm-hmm, opening yeah. to a door, and they yeah. just throw somebody halfway into it, and it like spins their body around or or flips them. Like they do that during the butcher fight when they, they wrap up Elliot's head in the jacket, and then he like flips him over his shoulder into that block. Um, that sort of shit is just so much fun to watch because every single time you're just like, it just looks like it hurts so much. Even the, it had to have hurt the stunt people to do this thing. And I just appreciate it. I I mean, mean, there's, there's, there's certain things that like in the, in the bar fight towards the end of the bar fight where he's pulling, you know, he, a guy is trying to escape from him. He, he pushes a picnic table over to a wall and he leaps over the wall. And then there's another guy who's going over a railing and he like grabs the guy, Elliot yeah. grabs the guy like around the collar just and then fucking just yanks him. whips him down <laughs> so that his, in one shot, so that his head just wallops off like a metal trash bin. I do not know how they do this without guys walking out of there with multiple contusions. And he does it in a Tom Ford peacoat. You know, know what I mean? Like, very well dressed guys. Respect. Yeah. I, I'll say this, regardless of my taste or distaste for violence. Like, he he is the director, like like none other, because the way that he yeah. uses all of the space and makes the yeah. entire world. I mean, you guys could probably speak to the video game logic of it a little better than I could, but everything, even like the non-player characters, are alive and active in the background, yes. right? And you watch any other director, particularly in television, where you're like, look, I'm going to put three things here and a flower on the table, and the camera's going to be here. Partly because we don't have enough time to animate the entire background and have 100 extras moving from the moment we say go, but also um, lack of imagination at times, yeah. right? And yeah. so to see space used like that is really radical. It's space and it's speed, too. 
Like, uh, yeah. I think that I think that there is a hyper realism to it that almost divorces it from, uh, for me at least, from being like stomach churning. Like, it, it is right. definitely like pretty pretty vivid to watch. But to me, that it's almost like watching athletes. Like, and and to sort of not be able to imagine how they're even pulling some of these stunts off, and and knowing like his yes. his legacy of the raid movies are just kind of like no one operates on this level yeah. in mm -hmm. terms of being able to orchestrate these kinds of physical tableaus. It's not for everybody. I can't imagine that everybody, if you were like watching the first 50 minutes of this show and you were like, ah, it's pretty good. I'm into it. I want to find out what's going on with Sean and, and Alex right. and Elliot. And then that happened. The you'd have to have a, but you'd have to have a pretty strong stomach to take it. I have, I have another question, just procedural sure. question, if you don't mind. So I'll, I'll put it to Shay first, but like, let's say Shay, this isn't your real life. You're a wonderful guy, family guy, but let's say that you were, part of the underworld of San Antonio. Mm -hmm. And uh, <laughs> there were maybe like eight families, let's say, who met in dark rooms to talk about what goes on at the docks. Yeah. But let's say, it, and someone got picked off, like the head got knocked off, the king. Someone came at the king and they didn't miss. Much like the plot of Gangs in New York. But let's say you're the king's best friend and literally no one suspects you of anything and you are eulogizing him at the funeral. <laughs> How thick would you lay it on? Yeah. Because my guy <laughs> literally stands up and says, when I lost my wife, the only thing left for me and my family was this man, and I dedicate every fiber of my being and every breath I take going forward to you. And I got to say, that's when the suspicion kicked in. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> This is this is how I know that you and I watch TV shows different because I, I watched that scene and I was like, that's really touching. He really cared, <laughs> he really cared about it. <laughs> I did not suspect him at all until you started talking and now I think you I think you might be right. <laughs> and I'm not spoiling anything, but I'm like, that's... Because yeah. I've only seen one episode. Yeah. But there, no. there, there's some stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. There, I guess there's some some things like that, but we're, I, we're just watching it differently. You know, my one of my favorite things that happens in a, in a show or a movie is when you just... Like and this is will like backdoor into your point is when you just have no idea what's about to happen. Like you, yeah. you, you can't guess anymore. Uh, Jordan Peele is like a director like that, where uh, you watch Get Out and you just at a certain point you just have to give up at guessing at what is going on and just wait to be shown. And that's how I feel about Gareth Evans when he's doing a fight scene. Like any other fight scene, I feel like I can, if I can see a still shot of it, I'm like, oh, okay, this is probably going to happen in this way. If you watch Mile 22 and they do the hospital fight scene, you're like, oh, they're probably going to bust through that window and this is going to happen, that's going to happen. But in this, when, when Gareth Evans gets his hands on a scene, you just have to give yourself up to it entirely and it becomes so much fun. Like Chris was saying, it doesn't feel like you're watching something especially gruesome. It feels to me like like art almost, like fucking a ballet, yeah, like, a beautiful like dance. ballet. Yeah, that's yeah. exactly what it is. Great. Yeah, and Jay, like I would separate what happens in gangs from another show that you know a, a bunch of people on this call all all love, which is zero zero zero, where like the violence in zero zero zero, I think hits in a different way, essentially because it's like it's baked into the story and it's telling you right. about character. I think you learn a lot about the Harold Toro's character in zero 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 based on like what he's willing to do in that show. And the same thing goes for the Andrea Riseborough character in terms of what she's willing to sanction in this show so far. Like it's, it's, it's this weird Frankenstein of pretty straightforward crime family drama. Right. Attached to this, like then this almost like it almost becomes more psychedelic because it feels like it's stapled onto this other show. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, and I, and I think that's the only bummer I had is I think the single most interesting thing for me 
as a not not coming into this for Gareth Evans, but coming into it because Chris told me you two guys were coming on the podcast to talk about it. <laughs> that 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 I was making fun of the eulogy. But when the guy stands up there and he's just like, there was a time in London where there were signs that said no blacks and no Irish. And so we, as immigrants, joined forces. Mm -hmm. I'm like, that's awesome. That's fascinating. That's interesting. That's like a vision, a version of London that, you know, is under undertold, at least in the stuff that makes it over to this country. So I wish that it was interested in saying more about that when I do think, as Chris is saying, it's really interested in setting up opportunities for balletic death. What do you think, Jay? Yeah. yeah. I, you know, I agree with that. I mean, back to, to Shay's point of uh, not knowing what's going to happen. That's, you know, I think that's a thing that audiences love. And I absolutely am thrilled by when I see particularly an action scene that surprises me after all the action movies I've seen. And, and for television, it's like the two other scenes that made me feel the way Gangs has so far in four in three and a half episodes have been uh you know who goes there first season of true detective mm -hmm. where that that the tracking me, shot yeah uh, the, the tracking shot that just like blew me out of my living room and the season uh three jailbreak fight in daredevil on netflix that yeah. is one, another tracking shot that is like incredible a lot of the kind of gareth evansy touches where a lot of chaos happening in the background guys coming out of the blind side to attack the main character, a lot of uh, first-person kind of perspective. But that the entire season was kind of a bore and went on too long. Every fight scene so far in, in Gangs of London through three episodes has been like... It almost levels up like a video game levels mm -hmm. up where it's like, you know, the first bar fight is here's your hero. The second fight in episode two is here's your first boss. And then the bosses just keep getting bossier. Uh, and so in that sense, <laughs> I really can't even imagine where they're going to go by episode five, six, seven, eight. Uh, truly mind bending stuff. And, and, to your point, Chris, yeah, it is. It, it's going to be hard to watch, I think, for people who aren't, uh, you know, fans of violent movies. That said, it's not as uh, dire as like zero, 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 where you yeah. feel like you're staring into the into the dark soul inside, uh, you know, government and globalism the human yeah. spirit yeah like <laughs> I, where you I feel just that feel day. like you come i came away from every episode of zero 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 on the one hand being like holy shit and on the other hand being like we are doomed like as a race <laughs> of people um gangs of london i'm just like yeah fire up the next one let's go i want to see <laughs> shay do you think that um one of the things that i know that you guys talk about a lot you and Jason, is the way in which action movies almost act like um, the same way like in classic rock or in rap where like something will come along and deeply influence everything that comes after it and people just start stealing little parts of it. Whether, you know, you see... I guess Wick comes after Raid, correct? Yeah. Yeah. Right? And so Wick clearly like saw Raid and saw you can kind of do all this stuff in real time like in these wide shots with these incredible stuntmen if you have this harmony between the stunt department and the, and the camera department and the director. And then you see also, I think that shows up then in Atomic Blonde and like these other things. Yeah. What do, you, do you think that like this is pushed to such an extremity that it's hard to imagine 
something that you see in Gangs of London showing up in like more quote unquote mainstream stuff? I, I think the only way that this is going to be hard to pull off is if you have somebody who's trying to do it on television. And like, if you have the space to do it in a movie, that that makes sense. Like all of the like comps that I have in my head while I was watching the bar fight scene or the butcher butcher blade scene, it, there was it was no TV show stuff. That maybe the Daredevil one that Jason mentioned, but it was all like other stuff that I had seen in movies, like the 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 apartment fight scene in Extraction. We're talking about the Russo brothers. Like I was going to stuff like that. Big budget. They have the time. They have the energy. They have the space. I don't know that you will have other people trying to do this on TV. Maybe something like Netflix or, or, or Hulu or whatever. I hope so. I fucking really hope so. <laughs> but it just it just seems like one of those situations where you have to have the exact right person or people working on a thing. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. Yeah, I, I would love to see more of it. I think that, you know, to back to the the idea of this being like 3% less kinetic than the Raid movies, I think that a lot of it is going to depend on choosing the right actors who have that kind of physicality to pull this off. You know, there's the way a Gareth Evans style fight scene is shot is you can't really hide yeah. a stuntman in it. It's got to be the actor in the center of the in the center of the action. If they could figure out a way to do this more, I think that this kind of thing is out there. There's a there's a um, there's a series called high and low the worst out of Japan, which is this weird like spinoff of this like boy band action series. And they have fight scenes that are like, imagine like, imagine a hundred members of different boy bands fighting in the street. And it looks like Gareth Evans meets uh, Avengers Endgame. There's a lot of these styles of of action movies right now are kind of coalescing in different yeah. areas of of cinema and so i think i think that it could happen and i think the the synergy that could come out of it is hopefully something we've never seen before. You will see stuff like this in Marvel movies within the next five years, like a much more vanilla version of it. But I think you did even in like the elevator fight in Captain America. You know what I mean? Like, and it's really interesting because when you and me, and when we were all growing up, and Andy's having Wi-Fi problems, so he's not on the call. He's not just taking a vow of silence. Um, (laughs) But when we were growing up, the the thing with these action movies was that they were almost like um like urban legends. Like you would yeah. get a tape of a John Woo movie at yeah. like the cool video store and like the guy behind the counter would be like, oh man, you're about to check out the real shit. Mm-hmm. And then that would like change your life. And that's and then you would start to see it in a Quentin Tarantino movie or whatever. And then John Woo would come to America and do Mission Impossible and 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 Broken Arrow and stuff. But initially like there, this wasn't like a yeah a show comes on in London, featuring a guy who's been making these movies in Asia directing, and then we get to see it in the states almost immediately. Like that's this is that's completely new now. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It's it it is uh, that is kind of an example of the effect of this globalized uh, culture that we have. That where you know there's a there's a there's a Twitter account that I just slacked you <laughs> with a clip from the, the movie I just. I uh, was talking about called uh, one perfect headshot at head exposure. <laughs> and it's literally just, they just, this, whoever this person is just posts action movie clips from 
Asian action movies and action movies, world action cinema. And the fact that people can have access to that kind of thing and hear about uh, and see movies, clips from movies that they just would never have heard of before, I think is one of the best things about being alive in 2020. There's only like five. Yeah, there's only like five good things. (laughs) (laughs) The most... The most direct line example of this happening, uh, and Jason and I have talked about this a bunch, is in the is in John Wick three when they bring in the two guys from the raid, yeah, and they're like very they're very clearly paying uh, homage to that series because the raid is like basically what John Wick is, but just with slightly better fighting. Uh, but they bring those two guys in, and they and they write it very intentionally uh, where they they have those two guys beat up John Wick. Just straight up, they beat him yeah. up. They could have killed him right here if they wanted to. Yeah. But then they back away and they're like, you know, it's great to fight you, whatever. And then the movie continues and then eventually John Wick wins. But that sort of stuff is like happening uh, shorter and sh- over a shorter and shorter amount of time now. Like you can see you can see it much, much Instantaneously. Yeah, like guys yeah, yeah. Are, guys are seeing these, these things and then they're immediately employing them into their, into their uh, movies. Exactly. I will say too, like in a weird way, it's kind of this style, the frenetic style, lots of people fighting on screen is uh, almost a return to like an old Hollywood tradition, like the old cowboy saloon barroom brawl where dudes were like hanging off the chandeliers and getting thrown through the windows. It's just morphed out into the rest of the world and come back to us in this extremely amplified version. Mm -hmm. Andy's back. Uh, I want to, before we let you guys go, I just wanted to ask you guys if you've been watching anything else on TV recently that you wanted to talk about, because, you know, I know that with connect, you guys have been very immersed in the movies and stuff, but what, any, anything that's been really like, you've been really enjoying over the last couple of weeks or months. I just binged uh, Teenage Bounty Hunters on Netflix. Oh, that just got canceled, didn't it? It did did just get canceled. there is a, listen, I don't know who, who's, I'll just say this. I've been tweeting about it. I'll just say this. I, don't, I won't spoil <laughs> it, but I want to say this one thing. Teenage Bounty Owners has been canceled after one season. Delightful show about two uh, fraternal twins who become bounty hunters. Kadeem uh, Hardison is their like bounty hunter uh, expert who helps them figure out life as bounty hunters. They're, te- they're high school students. There is a cliffhanger that will now never be resolved, that will bother me forever unless I find out what this twist means. That's all I'll say. But it's really fun and super fast and really funny. Fun show. Was that, two- was that another Netflix production? So is that ne- that has no chance of coming back? Yes. It's, it's not just no Netflix. It's, it's another Genji Cohen production. Oh, she no way. They, which suggests perhaps that the new regime is less enamored of her, I guess, than... The previous regime. That's too bad. There have been shows. Um, two shows that I have been watching. Mm-hmm. Pen, Pen 15, yeah. which yeah. is fucking awesome. It's just great. It's just so funny and smart. Everybody should, definitely, one, yeah. everybody should definitely watch that one. And then I've been doing a rewatch. You guys will appreciate this. Perfect timing. Sons of Anarchy. I'm back up to Hello. season seven. Fucking awesome still. I don't even know if this is true. I feel like you're just saying that. You can go, you know, I swear to God, you can go through my Twitter and see I've been tweeting like each night about Sons of Anarchy. It's because Chris, because I don't know if you remember, but but Shay and I had a deal that when he finished his third complete rewatch, then I would be ready to talk to him about it. Yeah, yeah. On the podcast. Because he wouldn't be like, he was like a training to be a Jedi. And like once he got. (laughs) Yeah, I'm not interested in Sons of Anarchy, only fathers. You know what I mean? (laughs) You have to reach a certain level. 
How, does, how, does it just hit different in 2020? How is it treating you? It still rules. It still rules. It's awesome. Do you know because, like all the dialogue and all the moments now? Like, can you just oh, be like, sure. oh, this is where Jack says this? Yeah. If you, if you give me like a screenshot of an episode, I can tell you what's about to happen right. or what just happened. But I want to bring, I, I do want to bring these guys into the conversation that we've been having, Chris, because one of the things that we've been talking about which is that in this very fraught moment in American history, like we all have different responses to culture and we're all seeking different mm-hmm. types of relief or entertainment. Mm-hmm. And so, Shay, because you also very famously have a great love of sitcoms mm-hmm. and have, have written beautifully and wonderfully about Scrubs and The Office, I wondered if you would maybe be doing a rewatch of heartwarming fare like that. But in fact, it seems you are doing the opposite and watching a show where people bite off their own tongues. It's, e- it's easier <laughs> for me to, it's easier for me to like block everything else out. If I'm watching Otto bite his own tongue off so that he doesn't have to talk to the cops. A hundred percent. It just makes the me dude forget about all London the should have tried that. <laughs> they probably will. Who knows? That's, that's true. Jason, what about you? Where are you with this? With biting off tongues? Are you pro or con? <laughs> Why won't you I'm, answer the question? Court packing, wire in. You have two minutes to answer uninterrupted. Uh, Tongue biting. Joe, Bi- Joe Biden was against the Bin Laden raid. Let me just put that out there. Um, I've, you know, I, I find myself uh, in this very fraught time in American history kind of gravitating towards more escapist uh, I've been watching Ted Lasso, which I find delightful. Ted Lasso rules. There you go, man. Ted Lasso is so shockingly good. Yeah. It's really, I have, really I don't soothing. have a home in this world anymore. I know. Not even on my own podcast. You're not in the Gang of London, and you're you not- You like Ted Lasso? You don't like Ted Lasso? Lasso gang. Oh, it's, so, it's so sweet. It's it so sweet. Really sweet. Come on. <laughs> we just- This is three guys who've just been talking about- Pine glasses being smashed I, into people's faces, <laughs> heads bouncing off of garbage cans, and yeah. ankles getting broken. And then we were all like, "Oh man, it's so sweet." Ted Lasso. Lasso. I'm going to go to your house. So I'm going to I'm going to tape a construction poster sign above your door that says "Believe." That way, you can slap it every time you walk in. <laughs> I, I just like that you're coming to my house, Shay. That's all I need. <laughs> That's nice. Uh, all right, guys, thank you so much for coming on and talking about. Thank the show. you. I yes. knew I need I, I needed to to just share. And Andy, thank you so much for. For bearing with us, you're you're a good sport, and um, this is this is my favorite hang. Virtual this is the or hang. That's I right. mean, <laughs> I love it, guys. Congratulations on the connect. Yes, thank you. Thank you so much. Excellent podcast. Everybody should subscribe. Great podcast. We'll talk to you guys soon, sooner than it's taken. Again. Bye. I hope so. <laughs> All right, y'all. Bye, guys. <laughs>